prepare for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, at least for the celebration of his birth. And so as we begin this Advent season, we begin by, we're going to kick off with a scandal. That's what we're going to do. We're kicking off this Advent season with a scandal. Um, this morning, uh, as you uh, think about uh, scandal, let me just bring, first of all, a definition for you about scandal. And uh, we'll have it up here for you on the screen. Do we? <laughs> scandalous. Okay, so what, what is a scandal? And uh, that's going to be our theme. Scandalous is our theme for the Advent season. Uh, I got together with uh, Joseph and Chris, and we uh, brainstormed, and we talked about the various events of the Christmas story that are scandalous in nature, okay? And so we'll be talking about uh, those events through the Advent season. But a scandal is this. The definition of a scand scandalous is a morally shocking or an indecent person, a thing or an action or something that hurts a person's reputation. And that is the definition of scandalous. That's something you have heard before, and this is nothing new to you. Uh, at this time, let me just share a few pictures with you. Here, we'll do a, a quiz. What's this scandal that's happening right here? You guys remember this one? Yeah, college tuition, yeah. Getting into a college uh, in... Uh, in a way that is not a very appropriate way. So these are the uh, figure heads, I guess you could say, that got caught in this. Let's go to the picture number two. Here's another scandal. This is the what? President Trump and the Ukrainian scandal. Okay, okay. Uh, here's picture number three. What's this scandal? Kind of gave you the answer already. The Bidens and the Ukrainian, again, okay, some kind of a scandal there, all right? And uh, so that's just to kind of kick us off here. Typically, all right, typically a scandal is not a good thing, okay? Scandal's not good. Nothing positive ever happens with scandals. However, however, with God's intervention, the scandalous becomes a blessing, all right? Let me say it once again. With God's intervention, a scandal becomes a blessing. Well, today we begin an Advent series entitled Scandalous. Uh, what the enemy intended to use for harm, God used for good. For example, just to kind of give you a little taste of what's to come, God used a pregnant teenager. That in itself is a scandal, but he used it to bring about good. Also, we'll discover that God used people of ill repute. They had a shady past, but God intervened and used them to bring blessing into our lives. Another picture for you this morning, uh, Ancestry.com. Has anybody signed up and tried that out? Ancestry.com. Okay, nobody wants to admit, okay. Uh, I signed up and I tried it and I found out that I was related to Oli and Lena. Okay, no, that's not true. Uh, this gentleman here, uh, Louis Anderson, he signed up and did the uh, Ancestry.com 
and uh, sent in his information, and he came back, and he discovered that he was 85% butter. Okay? <laughs> if we were to explore Je- Jesus' genealogy on Ancestry.com, we would discover that within his lineage, Jesus' lineage, in his family tree, there is a prostitute. Okay? No doubt the tabloids would have a heyday with that information. There would be a definite scandal if they got a hold of that. Well, this particular scandal that we're going to be looking at together this morning begins in Joshua chapter 2. And so I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Joshua. We're in the Old Testament. So turn to Joshua chapter 2. And in this particular chapter, we see the scandal unfolding for us. Okay? This particular scandal that we'll be looking at that has impacted our lives and definitely has impacted Christmas, this scandal is the prostitute Rahab, okay, and so we're going to be looking at her life uh, here in chapter 2. Now, before we get to chapter 2, as I read through this chapter, let me just kind of set the stage a little bit. Uh, When it comes to the Old Testament uh, stories and the battles, uh, you probably all remember the Battle of Jericho, correct? The Battle of Jericho. That's where uh, God instructed uh, uh, Joshua to take the Israelite nation, and they were to march around Jericho, Uh, Six times, first of all, and during that six times, they would only make one one circle around the city. But then he says, on the seventh day, uh, the instructions, on the seventh day, I want you to march around Jericho seven times. And at the completion of the seventh round around the city of of Jericho, uh, the people were instructed to shout and praise the Lord. And as they did, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. So you remember that story. Well, prior to all this taking place, Joshua sends a couple of men into the city of Jericho to check it out, to spy, in other words, to check it out and uh, find out some information. And as these two spies from Israel go into Jericho, the place that they go and hang out at is at Rahab's place. And, of course, that's kind of a strategic decision to make because with Rahab and her place, there is a lot of activity. There's a lot of, uh, you know, movement of people coming in and people leaving. So one of the best ways maybe to kind of go under radar and not be detected was to go to a, a pretty public place where a lot of people show up, strangers and so forth. But as we find out here in our story, uh, there was somebody watching Rahab's place, and they kind of picked out that what they had taking place here was uh, some Israelites who had come to spy. Well, anyhow, Rahab plays a very crucial part in the story regarding Christmas, and we're going to look at her life, and then we'll eventually, as we look at her life, we'll find some wonderful lessons about living the Christian life but also we'll end up talking about how her life impacted Christmas, all right? So, so how did Rahab help the Israelites capture Jericho? So what we're going to do, we're going to follow, I want you to follow along, we're going to read through uh, chapter 2 of Joshua, and I'm going to read sections of verses, and from those sections of verses, we'll pull out some lessons for us that we can implement in our lives today, all right? So beginning in Joshua chapter 2, We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. So follow along. I'm going to read the first seven 
verses. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. He said, go over and look at the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. So here we have the story of Rahab, and, uh, and it's, it doesn't necessarily begin very positively, but we're going to end up in a very positive note, but it doesn't begin very positively, because what we learn here, first of all, about Rahab is, one, that she is a Canaanite, okay, and the Israelites are coming into the land of Canaan to you know, conquer and take possession of it. So she is a Canaanite, and that's not a good thing, being a Canaanite, because spiritually speaking, Canaanites pretty much worshipped any and every god there was. Okay, uh, The Canaanites were engaged in offering child sacrifice. So it just kind of gives you a flavor about Canaanites. So they are not held in real high regard, especially among God's people. So Rahab is a Canaanite. Also, we find out, it tells us that she was a prostitute um, and was involved in that particular lifestyle. And as we read through the story, we find out that she is a liar. Okay, So this, this is Rahab, and she is part of Jesus' genealogy. She, uh, at one time, probably worshipped different gods. Uh, number two, of course, she's a prostitute. Three, she lies. So this is Rahab. But there is a good lesson for us from these opening verses, these first seven verses. And here's the lesson that we can apply in our life, okay? Faith takes risks. Faith takes risks. So what is the main risk that Rahab takes? Well, Rahab tells a completely different story. In other words, she lies to the king of Jericho. She lies to the king of Jericho. And that in itself was risky business because if she gets caught, her life will be taken from her. But, and we're going to see this a little bit later in the passage, she has a faith already developing. She believes in the God that the Israelites follow and serve. She believes in that God. He knows, she knows that that God has much more to give her than the king of Jericho and the people of Jericho. And therefore, she is willing to take 
a risk because her faith is dictating this risk. We too, as we live in this world, have to take risks with our faith. And you're going to face this, if not right now, you faced it in the past and you will face it in the future. Because it's becoming more and more difficult to live the Christian life in this world. Okay? Depending where you're at, if you voice opposition to the taking the life of a child, you will be ridiculed and people will come down hard on you as being judgmental, being whatever it is. Okay, You will be branded. You will have to take risks. And our risks must be rooted in our faith. And we see that taking place with Rahab. Pressing on with Rahab's story, we go with verses 8 through 13. Follow along. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Shion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from Death. Death. So we, I alluded to in point one there that Rahab has a faith. I mean, she may have, she probably did. She followed the gods of the Canaanite religion. Um, but she saw something. She heard something that changed her mind and changed her heart where she became a follower of God. And because she became a follower of God, that faith compelled her to take risks. Okay? She wanted to be obedient to God, so she was willing to take risks. But there's also something else interesting in those verses. All we really know from the Bible story here is that Rahab and her family, her parents and brothers and sisters, they are the only ones that are spared. They're the only ones that survive when Israelite attacks Jericho. They're the only ones that live. And I find that interesting. Here, here's a lesson that is true for us today. Some reject and some accept the truth. Now, Jericho had the same information that Rahab had. They had the same information. But a high percentage of the people of Jericho rejected that information. 
and were willing to, for whatever reason, die within the walls of Jericho. They had the same information. They heard the same stories. How Israel, you know, went and conquered uh, these kings. King Og and Shion. And, and how they came across the Red Sea. How it was parted and, and they passed through. They heard these stories. And as I was thinking about that, one, one commentary said that uh, he believed, and I don't know if this is exactly true, but one author of the commentary said, he believed that, remember when Israel went into the wilderness for that 40 years of wandering in the wilderness? There was something that went before them. The Israelite people went before them during the day. And there was something that went before Israelite during the nighttime. Are you tracking with me? There was a cloud during the day that was out in front of Israel and led them. And there was a pillar of fire at night that led Israel. Israel. And this particular author, it was his belief that as Israel circled Jericho during the day, there was a cloud, a mysterious cloud out in front. And during the night, there was a pillar of fire, a mysterious pillar of fire during the night. Now, I'm not saying this is exactly true, but that was his understanding or, or belief. But if so, I mean, what they, the Israelite, or excuse me, the people in Jericho, they had all that information. I mean, that, that would definitely cause you to reflect and think, wouldn't you? But they rejected the truth. It happens today. We just celebrated and worshipped Jesus Christ through communion. And communion symbolizes that Jesus Christ came into this world he willingly gave his very life so that we could have forgiveness of sin. And each and every person that will come to Jesus and place their faith and trust in him will experience life eternal. They have the same information that you have. But as you know, many reject the truth. That's where we're at today. That's where we're at. Pressing on with our story, we come to verse 14 and uh, 14 through 20. As we come to verse 14, remember that uh, in the previous verses there, Rahab is trying to bargain with the spies. He, she wants to survive. She knows that God means business. And she also knows that God can save. And so she has uh, begun bargaining with these uh, particular spies trying to not only save her life, but the life of her family. So we come to verse 14. And here's the spy's response. Okay, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she said to them, Go to the hills so that so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves three days until they return, and then go on your way. The men said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on, on us unless, when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. 
And unless you have brought your father and your mother, your brothers, and all of your family into your house, if anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. So some bargaining took place there in the early verses, and the spies were willing to uh, follow through with the bargain and say, hey, we will spare your life, Rahab. Not only your life, but the life of your family. We will spare your life. But, okay, got a big, big conjunction here. But here's the deal. Okay, you can't tell anybody what, that we were here, basically. You can't tell them our plans, all right? And when we do take this city, you've got to have your family in your home, okay? Because if they're outside your home, you know, we're not responsible. They'll probably lose their life. So anyhow, in this bargain with the spies, Rahab, there were some stipulations. She had to follow through and do some things. And when she followed through with the various uh, requests and the various stipulations that were presented by the spies, when she followed through and did those things, her life and the life of her family was delivered. They were rescued. They were saved because she followed what they asked of her. And so here's the lesson for us. Obedience brings blessing. God is asking you to do something. God has already asked us to do many things as you read through Scripture. The rescue, the blessing, comes when we obey what's been asked of us. Rahab, why is she alive? Why does she have an impact on Christmas? Because she was obedient. Obedience brings blessing. Brings blessing. Now back to our story. We're in verse 21. We're just going to look at one verse here. So anyhow, Rahab, you know, the stipulations, the requirements are listed for her. And verse 21 says that she agreed. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So again, one of the requirements uh, for her safety and deliverance was when the Israelites attacked the city, they got to see this scarlet cord, this red cord in the window. And then they knew, okay, that house, that home, and those people in that particular building, uh, we need to spare their lives. And notice, here's what I find really, really interesting. Soon as she let the spies down and they departed, what's it say? She tied the scarlet cord in the window. She responded right away. She didn't decide, you know, I'm going to see if this really does pan out. I'm going to watch these Israelites walk around the city of Jericho a few times, and maybe on the sixth day I'll hang out that scarlet cord. No, soon as she let these guys down the wall, she put the scarlet cord 
in the window. Here's the lesson. No better time than the present to secure your salvation. No better time than the present to secure your salvation. If you don't know Jesus, don't wait until you're on your deathbed. Don't wait. Put the scarlet cord in the window today. Do it today. Now, I don't know where you stand personally with your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus, then you've already placed the scarlet cord in the window, and that uh, is going to bring great blessing to your life. But if you have not placed the scarlet cord in the window, that means you are not safe. And when the end comes, your life will not be spared. You've got to hang the scarlet cord in the window. And how do you do that? Again, we're back to the whole idea of faith. When you place your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for you, when you accept that wonderful work that Jesus has done by faith, that is when the scarlet cord appears. Okay. It comes through your faith. When you exercise faith, in what Christ has done for you, the scarlet cord appears. There's no better time than the present to secure your salvation. We now jump to the New Testament. I want you to take a look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. If we just remain in the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 2, we walk away with this impression. Rahab was a Canaanite. She was a prostitute. She was a liar. But that is not what she's known for. So would you look with me at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. And he, in Hebrews chapter 11, um, it's called the faith chapter. So in chapter 11 here of Hebrews, the names that are listed here in chapter 11, these are the heroes of faith. They, they exercised faith in God and believed what he said he would do, and they believed it. They accepted it. And guess whose name is in this, this hall of fame, if you will? It's Rahab. Take a look at verse 31. It says this. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell um, after the people had marched around them for seven days. And then it says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. We start out in the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 2, with Rahab, the Canaanite, the prostitute, the liar. As we press on through God's word, how is she remembered at the end of her life? The woman who exercised faith in God. Here's the lesson. Sin does not define who you are. Sin does not define who you are. 
Yes, we do know that Rahab, I mean, we know the story. We know that she was a prostitute. It's kind of scandalous, right? But how is she remembered? God wants us to know that she is a lady of faith. And that her sin, back in Joshua chapter 2, that sin does not define who she is. Your sin does not define who you are. Who are you? You're the one who put the scarlet cord in the window and you were delivered because you had faith in Jesus Christ. He alone saved you. That's who you are. That's who you are, not your sin. And then lastly, we come to number uh, our sixth point if you're following along in your bulletin, we're in Matthew chapter 1. And here's where Christmas comes into the picture. Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, it starts off with uh, the genealogy of Jesus. And uh, I'll admit it's not really wonderful reading because we have no connections with these individuals we don't know them from Adam so to speak but uh, here we have Matthew recording for the reader the genealogy of Jesus so evidently Matthew had a point he had a reason why he wanted to have all these names recorded you know so and so begat so and so and and from them they begat so and so there's a reason and here's the reason Uh, As you read through Matthew's genealogy here, what it does, it, uh, it establishes a case that Jesus is the legitimate king, you know, to come through the throne of David, okay, through the line of David. So, and remember, that's what prophecy and so forth talks about, that uh, the next king will come through David. Well, the scripture tells us that the next king that's coming through David is Jesus Christ. Well, how do we know that? Well, Matthew says, well, here, follow along. Let's take you through the family lineage. And so as he walks us through the family lineage, we find out indeed that Jesus is a descendant of King David and therefore has a right to the throne. That's the whole point there of Matthew and his genealogy. But notice how we get there. That's in verse 5. Verse 5. It says here, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Okay? And it goes on here, it talks about Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. So here we find God using some ladies uh, in his lineage. But here we have Rahab. And here's the scandal. If you know anything about Rahab, everybody says, oh yeah, she was the prostitute. That is the scandal. But, as we said before, you know, sin, the sin does not define you. And what we have here is we find Rahab in Jesus' genealogy. God used Rahab. And Rahab's name is in the genealogy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Pretty amazing. Here's the lesson. Your faith puts you in the lineage of of Jesus Christ. Okay. Your faith puts you in the lineage of Jesus Christ. 
It was Rahab's faith, remember, back in the story? She believed the God of the Israelites. The stories of how they conquered the kings, how the Red Sea was parted and Israel walked through on dry ground. She believed those things. It was her faith that saved her and placed her in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Your faith puts you in the lineage of Jesus Christ. You become part of the family of God because of your faith. Okay? Your faith. And that's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? Christmas is about making a way for God to place us in his family tree. That's Christmas. God made a way for us to be a part of his family tree. And it all takes place in Christmas. It takes place in Christmas. Well, I'm excited about Christmas. I hope you are too. But no doubt, the thing that will make Christmas even more special in your life, if you have not done it yet, is this. Hang the red cord cord in the window. Put the scarlet cord in your window. In other words, place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. For it's when you do that, you become part of the family of God. Have you done that? If not, let me encourage you to do that. Let's pray. God, thanks again for this Advent season as we prepare for the coming birth of Jesus. But, uh, Lord, today we've learned that you have made a way for us to be a part of your family. Our names are not only written in the book of life, as you tell us in Revelation, but if we go through Ancestry.com, we see that we're related to Jesus Christ. Not because of blood, not because of the good we have done, but simply because we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Thank you for that gift, Lord. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.